No, so no, please turn on your video. Please. Yes. Okay, <laughs> just give me... Just the coffee machine is working, so... <laughs> What's that going to do with your video? Okay. Like, um, <coughs> building up the welcome, suspense. welcome to the madhouse, Jeff. <laughs> building up the suspense. We don't want to give the impression we're, we're professional, okay? There's <laughs> absolutely nothing professional going on here. Villa. There we go. Yes. There we go. All right. So, all set. You have the coffee? You have the coffee? I do. Okay, so, so, so you need to explain to us here why it was that you couldn't turn on the camera because you were getting coffee. Because you would have just looked at an empty room, right? So why, why would I turn on the, the video before I'm here? Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, I can, I can see the benefit of seeing you rather than an empty room. Some people might disagree. <laughs> touché, touché. Yes, exactly. All right, good. Are we ready to go? I think ready so. on this end. All right, good. So here we go. Welcome to FinTech Daydreaming. podcast that dives into the world of banking technologies and the ever-changing landscape of fintech companies. We bring you real-life examples from global and local thought leaders, as well as experts working within the financial industry, and seek out the best stories from the front lines of financial services innovation, where dreams of industry pioneers meet reality. Hosted by Paul Krogdahl and Ville Sontu, this is Fintech Daydreaming. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fintech Daydreaming. I'm here in Finland for a change. Uh, as you, you probably know that I've been traveling a lot lately, but uh, this time around I'm here in my home studio. Call it the studio if you want or a living room, whatever you prefer. But uh, nonetheless, we are here with another guest, of course, which we're going to introduce in just a moment. But before I do that, I do have to welcome my friend and co-host, Paul Krugdahl. So, Paul, how are you doing uh, today? I'm doing good, as always. I think it's always the case. We're always good, right? Um, generally. Yeah, generally. I guess we could add uh, a little bit tired, maybe, <laughs> to the equation due to all the uh, events and stuff happening happening around us at the moment. But this is the, this is the time of the year with all the conferences and, and all the mad rush towards the end of the year. And it seems like everything is packing up at the same time. But yeah, it's part of the appeal of the industry, right? It is indeed, yes. And we all do quite enjoy the, the mingling and uh, making new connections, etc. at conferences. So we shouldn't complain about it, even though we do get quite fatigued out of the, the traveling and a network and everything else that happens. But I prefer that over the last two years we've had of lockdown and hide into rooms and virtual conferences. And it just doesn't work for me. I'm a, I'm a touchy feely person. Yeah. Yeah, I remember last year, this time I was doing like two two conferences of WebEx or, or, or video conferences per day. Uh, and I, I much prefer this way. I do maybe one or two per week and actually be there at, at present physically. But enough about that. Uh, first, actually, I do have to mention one thing. It's been a crazy week uh, in the cryptocurrency scene. Uh, we're recording this on the 11th of November, uh, and we're looking forward to talking about all of those things in the in the near future because again there's there's a lot of a lot of craziness happening in the crypto space at the moment however because it's all moving so fast uh we're not going to talk about any of that today we have a, another interesting topic uh but again i do promise that we will pick up pick up this uh, crypto craziness as well in future episodes as soon as things uh, settle down uh, a little bit but with that being said, let's get on with the topic of the, of the day and our and our great guest that we are happy to welcome uh, to our podcast. So, Jeff, how are you today? I'm good, thanks, Bill. How are you? I am really good. As you heard, a little bit tired, but I think we will manage. Uh, but uh, Jeff, uh, why don't you uh, start by telling our audience uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, what are we going to talk about today? Sure, no problem. And uh, I guess before I do that, I can uh, definitely resonate with uh, the comments around the conference. I was uh, in Vegas last week. I've got another conference uh, next week. It does seem to be a uh, crazy time. Um, but yeah, um, my name is Jeff Parker. I'm um, the managing director uh, for the international business at, at Marketa. 
Um, I, I joined Marketa a couple of months ago and prior to that was in uh, various other payments business as uh, the COO at an international business called um, OFX, um, based out of in Australia. Um, and then after that, I moved to a similar business in, in payments called World First. Um, I was a CEO there. Um, and then we got acquired by the Ant Group, the, the Chinese uh, owners of, of the Alipay app. Mm. Um, so I kind of did a bit of traveling, was in Australia and, and Hong Kong, and then moved back to to the UK um, during during COVID. So um, at Marketa, I'm responsible for, for leading everything outside um, of the US. Um, we see a huge uh, opportunity for, for growth in that area. So um, yeah, super excited to be onboarding in the team and, and thanks for having me today. No, thank you for, for being here. I mean, Mar Marketa is one of those names you hear a lot uh, in this space. And uh, I'm really looking forward to having a discussion about uh, what you guys do and uh, and what what are, what are the kind of interesting trends uh, around your business. But before we get to all of that goodness, we do have a tradition uh, in the podcast where we ask our guests to tell a joke. And uh, as as our listeners will know, my I usually do it in the beginning, Paul does it in the end. But uh, now that it's, it's my time to host, I'm going to ask, uh, Jeff, do you have a joke uh, for our audience today? Uh, I have uh, what you could try and say is a joke, but <laughs> let's see how the uh, audience... Well, that's the usual uh, thing we have, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so here goes. Um, how do you eat a Bitcoin? Tell me. With a megabyte. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry about that everyone <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you got the got the actual level of act perfectly right so exactly right for the for the podcast so i i did enjoy that i was actually going to say i mean based upon what you said at the beginning there villa around uh some interesting activities that's happening around the crypto space at the moment i, I you know maybe you need to check whether the bitcoin is rancid before you taste it right <laughs> <laughs> or indeed if it's uh, if it's smaller than you thought so exactly yeah so so again uh, yeah so we're kind of uh, foreshadowing the the crypto conversation that's about low <laughs> <laughs> yeah but again i mean the crypto space is moving so fast uh, as we're recording today uh, two weeks from now uh, we could be in a completely different situation so it's uh, just that crazy right now yeah. but uh let's uh get off that side path for a second and uh and then uh, get to the topic of today and i think the logical point to start here is that maybe uh jeff if you can tell our audience uh, a little bit what is marketa what do you do and uh, why do you do it uh today sure um so um Marketa is a, a U.S. headquartered uh, fintech firm based out of Oakland in, in California. Um, it was the first modern card issuer processor uh, to exist, kind of replacing the, the legacy processing um, capability that existed and really kind of defined a new um, category segment. Effectively, cloud-native, API-first company, working with some of the biggest and, and brightest tech-enabled companies in the world. And really the, the purpose of the company is to allow them to our customers to, to build and manage uh, card programs so debit card prepaid card programs really easily and quickly reducing the complexity that other traditional payment processes uh, bring so we've got you know great clients uber uh, block uh, instacart doordash a um, whole range of kind of some of those uh, yeah, world-leading technology companies are you doing the uh, the full card processing so card issuing as well etc so we, uh, it's a great, great question, actually. So um, the, the core business is um, issuing and, and processing. So virtual cards, physical cards, tokenized cards into wallets and all the processing, processing around that, connecting to the schemes and the merchants, et cetera. Um, in the US, we do a full program management service. So we kind of do a one-stop shop for all of our customers, managing all their relationships with the schemes and the disputes and fraud management, et cetera. Um, in the international world, which is where I am, we, we typically focus more on what we call a powered by model, which is really just providing a tech solution uh, to our clients. We, we see that you know, they're really tech enabled um, and can kind of build the experiences that they want for their customers using kind of our APIs. So you're seeing potentially more growth in the, the sort of embedded finance space going forwards? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I think um, historically our clients have been digital banks, uh, fintechs, uh, neobanks. Um, but yeah, we we see a huge, huge, huge opportunity going forward in the in the embedded finance space. We, we've been involved in that space for a number of years in some some of the some of our solutions. But I think increasingly over the next uh, few years, we're going to see a lot of kind of corporates 
just want to embed payments experience and, and broader. Okay, uh, there was a bit of a lag on my side on the connection. I hope that didn't make it to the recording. No, it's, it's across the board. I think we've almost lost Jeff. Are you back okay. with us, Jeff? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I think yes. yeah. Now it's better. So sorry to the listeners. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, I hope the connection is uh, more stable uh, moving forward. But I think I got what you, what you said, uh, Jeff, right there. And uh, let me follow up with a with a usual question that we have when we talk about uh, interesting companies in the fintech space, which is of course, so what sets uh, Marketa apart uh, from other similar companies? Because the uh, the, the reference list you have is, is quite uh, recognizable by by a lot of people, especially in the fintech space. I mean, Uber and uh, Block, I guess, which is uh, branded Square still in many places. Uh, the uh, So what is the reason why all these companies are using you instead of something else? Yeah, is it good? I, mean, I think, um, as I said, we were the kind of the uh, segment defining. So we were the very first kind of in our space that, that led with um, being cloud native and, and, and API first. So we really enabled developers to kind of build really unique um, experiences on the top of our, our platform. So I think that's kind of initially what set us apart. Um, I think um, our customer service um, we think is, you know, is, is industry leading. And so um, while kind of developers can can do what they want on, on top of our APIs, we really do help them through that process. So if they haven't got experience in the industry, um, that really, I think, sets us apart. And then finally, I think um, it's just a scale that we operate. I think there's there's a lot of newcomers that have come in into our space. But you know, last year we processed over 150 billion dollars of transactions for our customers, and there's no one that has that modern technology stack, uh, that capability, and can have the credibility um, to operate at that scale that, that we do. So I think a combination of those three things is is what really attracts people to us. Yeah, I mean, that ticks all the boxes for me, at least. So it makes a lot of sense. And indeed, impressive volumes uh, that you have, uh, your processing and, and, and especially on the customers that you have, it makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of figures as well. Now, this actually is touching on on the topic that that is that we would like to have as almost like the main theme of today, which is the 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 fact that you're operating in an international space. So you are the head of inter, a director for international for Marketa. That means that you also have business outside the U.S. So you're not only U.S. company; you have global customer base, and you are you're basically solving these card card processing uh, problems for your customers globally. Now. This brings uh, an, interna uh, an international element, which is interesting, especially from, from a data uh, and ecosystem per perspective and, and regulation uh, perspective. Now, you're, again, you're, you're the head of uh, international uh, and you are scaling this uh, Marketa platform globally. So what keeps you up at night? Is it regulation? Is it the supervision, your partnerships, ecosystem, or what, what's the uh, what's the main thing you worry about when uh, working on international expansion? Uh, all of the above, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think um, what keeps me up at night most, um, I mean, the first thing that keeps me up, um, I've got I've got two young kids, four, six, <laughs> and, a, and a third on the way in about two weeks' time. So um, I think that's going to keep me up um uh, the most out of anything but i think you're right from a work perspective um you know we are certified to operate in 39 different countries um we've got um you know an ecosystem of, of partners and as i said you know we're maniacally focused at marketer on on our customers and really serving those customers well delighting them exceeding their expectations and as i said with that volume of transactions that we're processing for them um, and that partner ecosystem that we're managing just making sure that we you know, we don't disappoint those customers is kind of the, the first thing that kind of keeps us up. And we, we take that trust that customers have, have placed in us extremely seriously. And we're often, um, um, if not the main part of a client's business, um, definitely a key component of, the, of their offering to their customers. And so it's critical that they can rely on us. So just that as a main, I think, is, is one of the key things. Out, outside of that, I think, um, to your point, you know, we, we're trying to scale the business outside of the US. We think there's a huge opportunity. And I think Marketa... Um, is a hyper growth company and it's gone through um, you know, successive growth over the last 10 years. And I think there's a danger when that happens in a company that you you get complacent, um, you lose some of your uh, ambition. Um, you know, we listed last year. And so really my job is to is to really keep all of the team inspired and focused and, and aligned on, on what we can do and, and really take advantage of the opportunity we have. I think you know, we're really fortunate at Marketa that the opportunity isn't isn't uh, 
what's in question. We've got a great product market fit. We're a tiny portion of a huge um, addressable market. Um, and so it's really about how do we execute effectively um, to deliver on kind of that opportunity. I think that's what keeps me up, like, you know, making sure that we deliver on our promises um, and, and deliver all of our stakeholders, employees, um, customers, um, you know, what they deserve. So uh, I'm going to ask a bit of a, maybe a weird question because I want to take a step back uh, uh, on this on this topic of uh, basically providing financial services on a, on a global scale. And let's start from the very basic question. If I start a fintech, let's say in US, and I, I get customers in the US and I scale in the US like like you have done, and then I then I would like to basically go global and the. Um, I want to offer my same services, my same financial services that I'm already in production with in the US. Uh, why can't I just turn it on and have it available globally, like basically turning on a switch or opening up a firewall? What are the obstacles for scaling outside your home country, especially in your case, for example, uh, US? So what, what is the reason I'm not able to, as a US entity, launch a financial services company, let's say in Finland? Yeah, it's it's a great question actually. Marketa sits kind of in a um, straddles some of the the issues that we're going to kind of talk about here. So, um, obviously, to provide financial services um, requires uh, regulators. It's a regulated activity to to move money. And so, different countries have different regulatory bodies and different requirements um, around um, KYC, KYB, kind of identifying those, um, how you monitor those transactions, uh, the level of risk. Um, that you have to do, um, you know, the data that you have to give, and so, so, and that regulation changes quite significantly by 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 country. So, if you want to be involved in financial services, somewhere, some partner in that ecosystem has to be regulated, and so um, that's the first challenge. So, if you are the regulated entity, um, then that takes a timely process. You need you need people, you need certain controls and processes, you need to be audited, etc. And that's obviously the key, uh, predominantly the main um, challenge. Interestingly, for a company like Marketa, and depending on the approach you take, is that you know, Marketa is a technology provider as opposed to uh, a licensed kind of financial services provider. So actually, we're providing technology and working with some of those licensed uh, uh, parties. So our platform, one of the unique things about our platform is actually that being certified in 39 countries, we, we can actually do exactly what you said. We actually can switch on and allow our customers to literally move countries, um, you know, within a couple of weeks, they can be in you know, multiple different markets. But the underlying kind of partnership of um, uh, um, services that are required, it, 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 it's 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 much more challenging. And so, you know, it, it's it can be many months really to um, to move. In in Europe, for example, um, depending on what you need, it can be you know, six, nine, twelve months to get certified by a scheme. Um, you might need to sign up a um, a bank or an issue a bank or a bin sponsor, and you have to go through a whole due diligence. Um, process for them outside of cards you might want to be a, a money transfer um provider and you know in finland or in, in mainland europe um you, know, you have to get regulated by you know whether it's in netherlands or you know there's various kind of um places that you can go to passport your license so i think when you when you think about all of those components together um the complexity um is quite large and, and requires a level of consideration before you commit to expanding into multiple countries yeah I think a lot of these uh, things rhyme quite well because in our podcast we've had a lot of guests uh, talking about how do you actually launch services in different countries and and I think the common theme that I, we hear all the time is that you need a an anchor to the local uh, ecosystem uh, whether the, that those anchors typically are uh, part of the legal system therefore also also regulated and we've been trying to. We did talk about crypto a little bit there in the beginning, and it seems like many of these crypto companies are perhaps missing the point that you need that licensed regulated entity connected to the legal system in order to be compliant and able to offer services. So, yeah, it, it does uh, does seem to uh, seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, so, Paul, what do you think? I mean, is this uh, the same answer we've been hearing uh, with other guests as well? It's absolutely the same. Yeah, I mean, it's we we live in a highly regulated industry. We operate in a highly regulated industry. Uh, regulations are not global at the moment still, although, you know, we had a we've had guests like Brett King coming on talking about moving towards a world of of global regulation rather than local regulation. So absolutely. And, and like you said, Jeff, it's not just 
regional, it's country based. There's variations that are country by country. But one of the things that I also find very interesting, and I think we're, we're going to go into that in a lot more detail, is around data residency and, and the management of data, GDPR, uh, and particularly as you start moving across uh, regulatory boundaries, how you deal with the differentiation of, of regulations against the management and control and, and security of customer data. So from a, from Marketa's perspective, or maybe Jeff, from, from your experience, I mean, how do, how do we deal with, with ownership of data and customer data going forwards? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think back to your, your point around um, global regulation, I think um, it's a nice idea, but I think it's, uh, it's probably unlikely to happen in the, in the, in the near term. I think, um, you know, even with COVID in the last few years, we've seen uh, in times of challenge to, to countries, I think countries kind of tend to retreat and, 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 and look after them, themselves more. And I think that's the same approach with, with, with regulation. I think it's potentially it's likely to get tighter and more individualized than it is um, centralized um, in the short term. And obviously the UK leaving uh, Europe with Brexit didn't, didn't help with, uh, with that aspiration either. Um, so you're right, I think data is one of the key things which which make that um, kind of international expansion um, challenging as well. Mm -hmm. I think from Marquetta's perspective, we, we do a couple of things. So um, one, um, you know, we work very closely with our customers um, to understand uh, what regulations uh, they're kind of bounded by and, and, and monitored by. And, and we make sure that we understand that we work together um, to provide them with the tools and systems and security around that data um, that they need to satisfy their own kind of regulatory obligations, but also their own um, in, internal. Um, in terms of GDPR, I think, you know, we've always taken the approach that, you know, we're effectively the custodians um, of our customers' data. And so we've architected our platform um, in a way that is, is, is very configurable uh, and consistent with, um, security laws and, and data standards as, as they stand. And I think the fact that we are kind of cloud native and uh, uh, modulized and, and API first, I think gives us uh, industry leading level of kind of flexibility to be able to adapt and to change that, um, to that data requirements as, as, as we go forward. But I think what we always try and do as well is, is think beyond, I guess the, the, the immediate, um, you know, so um, for example, a lot of our European customers, while they're not necessarily um, required by regulation to, to host data locally within Europe, a lot of them feel more comfortable if their data is um, stored uh, locally. And so we've just opened um, a European version of our kind of cloud-based data center in, in Europe to, to give that level of satisfaction for customers that need it. So I think it's always just constantly having dialogue with customers now, what do they want? What's important to them? Um, and, and making sure we, we think about uh, that as a core part of the service that we provide. I actually think in most of the discussions that I'm having around with uh, with fintechs and banks um, around data, it's it's becoming more and more focused on you know where data is is hosted from a country specific element. Uh, some regulators are starting to say that they would like to see data domiciled in the country where the the client is based, which means that even though you're running a cloud native uh, infrastructure, you're still focused on on saying, well, if if we're operating for a bank or a financial institution in in Norway, the client data for Norwegian customers must still be domiciled in Norway. Uh, is this something that's that's starting to impact on you guys? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, there are certain geographies where um, it is mandated in terms of where that kind of data is held, um, and I think that will increasingly um, be the case. Um, that was kind of one of the reasons that we took that decision to kind of set up this um, European um, data center. I think in, in Asia, we're starting to see uh, um, similar requirements. Australia um, is quite strong on that. And um, sometimes it's mandated, sometimes it's just uh, encouraged. I think it also depends on um, uh, the size and the type of business that you're working with. So definitely, I think when you go into the more of the larger financial institutions, they have much kind of stricter um, guidelines, even if it's internal as opposed to um, regulatory. But yeah, I, I expect that to trend to change. And I think the other really interesting piece on that is, I think obviously if you're trying to globalize um, and if you're doing cross-border trade, 
it's not quite as simple as saying that your customer is in in Europe because the the, the buyer may be in Europe, but the seller may be in in, in the US. So mm. then we have to start thinking about um, data transfer and 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 the different regulations in both of those um, geographies. And so that adds an extra a layer of complexity. I think I, th I think uh, we're still at the the beginning of this journey. Um, but having said that, customer data is 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 clearly critical and sensitive. And so I think um, at Marketo we're we're happy to to kind of to, to make sure that we are as secure as possible. We recognise that that is is super important, but it does add some uh, complexity to what we're doing. You actually made an interesting distinction there that I'd like to to dive into a little bit further. So, from your perspective, that there is a a difference in how we view customer data based upon whether it's data at rest or data in in transit. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, we we we, and I think this has probably been um, the progression of technology over over time as well. I mean, I think uh, again, you know, we typically encrypt all of our data, whether it's at rest or in, in, in transit. But I think um, different organizations with different level of maturity um, are probably at, at different stages of, of that journey. Um, but yeah, I think, again, I think regulation and guidelines around um, uh, that level of, 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 of security will, will increase. And I think um, ultimately it needs to be encrypted at all times because, um, you know, um, it, it, it's obviously more at risk when it's uh, in, in transit, but, um, you know, it, in, in theory it's at risk at any time. So we are techies, right? It's uh, called FinTech Daydreaming after all, our podcast here. And uh, we like to put names on things. Uh, if, if it's an acronym, of course, it's better because we like acronyms as well. One of the acronyms that was already mentioned here uh, with regards to data, data privacy is of course GDPR, which is everybody knows it. Everybody has been talking about it uh, forever. But there's a lot of topics you mentioned there about, uh, about managing data and complying to, to regulations. What are the other headline topics uh, in addition to GDPR in terms of, uh, of regulatory schemes otherwise, or guidances or otherwise that uh, our listeners could uh, uh, get familiarized? Uh, I mean, what, is the, what are the relevant headline topics in this space today? Yeah, I, mean, I think specifically around um, that, that, that uh, data in transit, as uh, um, you mentioned there, I think um, SHREMS, uh, SHREMS 2, uh, which is not necessarily... Um, kind of related to GDPR. So for those of you not familiar, um, I'll try and get this right. I think there was a, a privacy activist um, who sued Facebook around um, w whether the transfer of data from uh, Europe to the US kind of met GDPR uh, regulations. And I, I think um, it was proved uh, that maybe that transfer didn't. So there was a tightening of some of the, the, the GDPR uh, guidelines. So um, I, I think those types of kind of um, incidents, kind of legal uh, lawsuits, et cetera, can influence um, how we think about data uh, transferring quite um, significantly. And then I think within um, some of those guidelines, um, there's, a, there's lots of subtopics, which I think uh, I think you touched on earlier, Bill, around um, data residency or localization or regionalization. I think um, they all have quite significant uh, impacts on, on how we think about um, uh, data um, and it's not just a, the transfer of data which is interesting it, it's also obviously we're using data to create customer experiences um, and, and make sure that we yeah, my view is that in the future with the amount of data we have we should be able to hyper personalize customer experiences um, and to do that we need the data to be able to, 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 to do that so I think you get into a, an interesting realm there of how do you satisfy um, uh, the 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 regulatory requirements about data, but we also create uh, user experiences which are seamless and frictionless, um, and and that's based on, um, I guess, the data that we can um, analyze and, and and use to hopefully add value to customers' lives. Yeah. There's, there's almost a dichotomy in all of this, right? Yeah. There is there is a you need to give to get. We all want hyper personalized experiences. We all want to get that you know, focus on me, but at the same time, we don't want to give any of our data to be able to have the fintechs and, and the providers create that personalization. So to a certain degree, the the aspirations of the individuals are being quashed by their fear of sharing their data and the regulations saying we, we cannot utilize that data in a good way. So how do you think that Marketa and, and the industry is going to react to this going forwards? I mean, I think um, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, on a non-market view, my own personal opinion is that I think um, people 
will get more comfortable with sharing data if they they trust how that data is is used and stored and that they're confident that it actually adds value to their lives. I, I think despite all the technology advancements that we've had in the last 10 years, to me, that level of personalization still feels like spam at the moment. <laughs> it's almost gone like it's almost like become dangerous before it kind of gets before it gets better. And I think that's where people are uncomfortable with that. I think it it, it shouldn't be long until we can um, uh, take it to that ne next level where people see, see see real value. So I think companies like Marketer, I think to your point, I think the dichotomy is a, is a great word. I think we will continue to um, focus 100% on um, increasing the level of security and trust that we have with our customers around how we treat that data. Um, but in parallel, I think we need to focus really, really hard on how do we kind of almost bring that data back together or create you know, a digitalized um, uh, token of, of an individual and, and, and their identity um, so that we can then um, create these kind of really super cool um, experiences. And I think, you know, we talked earlier, uh, we touched on embedded finance. You know, I think the combination of powerful data, embedded finance into um, into kind of retail or, or other experiences, um, the, the, the opportunities there are, uh, for me, super exciting in terms of um, what that delivers for you as an, an, an individual. But what we can't do, and I think maybe uh, there's been a gap in, you know, we can't lose sight of the importance of the security of that data. And that, that has to be uh, the number one priority above everything else. And once we, you know, we, we need to build on top of that foundation. We can't ever forget that foundation, if that makes sense. So speaking of the dimension of local versus global, GDPR, for example, as a, as a data privacy uh, regulation, uh, basically had, had almost like the unintended consequence uh, of favoring global companies instead of local ones, because global companies had easier time complying to GDPR regulation rather than the other smaller ones. You mentioned now Shrems too, uh, all the data localization and, and basically having data residency in, in local countries moving forward. Do you see the trend changing? Is it this going to favor more local players or uh, global players? Yeah, it's a good interest, a good, a good point. I mean, and, and we, we don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, of, of crypto, but you also see, I guess, um, you know, for some kind of industries that are, are less regulated, it kind of gives them the ability to be, I guess, more uh, aggressive or in their, in their approach to risk to kind of take, um, you know, to, to, to take progress. So I think, uh, I think it will always um, be easier for global companies because it's it's harder to be for them to be regulated. Um, you know, if you're in within a region and you're managed by a certain regulator and you've got a license by that regulator and your business is dependent on complying with that, I think um, you're much more likely to com you know, to comply and and to to understand that. So I think they're always going to be, I guess, grey areas where people are pushing the boundaries and trying to go into in, into new markets. So to me, that's 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 always going to be a challenge. Um, hopefully. While I, I expressed that view earlier that I don't think we're ever going to come to a, a global view, hopefully collaboration um, um, between kind of markets and regulators um, continues to um, improve so that there's kind of communication of, of bad actors and those types of things so that we can, we, we, we can manage that and not disadvantage um, uh, the local players. But you know, we've seen in e-commerce over the last few years, significant discrepancies in terms of um, you know, treatment between um, local players and and and, um, and and global players, which are unintended consequences, I think, of um, of, of some of the re regulation. But it gave you know huge opportunities to Chinese merchants selling into Europe. Um, disadvantage, you know, that you know significant advantages over um, the, the local players, which I think we're, they've tried to fix now. So, I think it's an an ongoing um, battle that will continue to be fought. But as a general rule, I think it, it, it typically is harder for the local, given that kind of regulatory oversight. I'd like to actually expand on that a little bit on this this notion of global versus local um, and data data residency gdpr etc another element that's that's strongly sort of tied into this is around customer data is is identity management and we are moving quickly actually i would say into a becoming global citizens the the idea that uh, everything we do and transact is is locally managed locally done very much like you said Right, you could have two people doing a transaction, one based in Europe, the other one based in, in the US. So now as as we we 
continue to provide this sort of uh, global identity management. Do, do you think there's a, a growing complexity in the relationship between identity management and data residency? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, I think I think there is. I mean, back to your kind of uh, dichotomy piece. I mean, I think to, to to manage that data residency, localization, regionalization requirements, by definition, you have to segregate the data. Yeah. Um, um, yet, um, you know, if we want to create a digital identity of someone, we need to kind of almost bring it back together to create that that, that single view um, of, of the customer to kind of create that complete digital identity, which. I think it has real value and I think you know the potential of that what you can do with that digital identity is, is quite big it's still very early days and you know I think it's people are working out what those use cases um, um, can be but I think you know th there's lots of um, potential there so it kind of comes back to that we try to architect our system that enables us to segregate that data um, encrypt and tokenize kind of that data as we go um, along and, and and always be able to kind of present back um, kind of a tokenized view of uh, a, a customer's uh, identity um, to them. But I think we've seen over the last few years a proliferation of kind of people trying to look at digital identity and um, uh, how we do that. And I still don't think uh, anyone's got close to, um, to to solving that. So I think there's it's probably one of the most interesting kind of spaces that we're operating in at the moment um if people can start to make huge progress in that i think we'll see some quite exciting things but um again i'd say it's probably early in that journey but kind of huge huge potential yeah it's it's uh it's funny you should say that it's it's early days because i mean it, it really shouldn't be early days <laughs> yeah, true. because i mean the uh, the whole digital identity question has existed for as long as kyc at least has existed so the uh so the, the problem has always been there but nobody really has been able to crack it and i mean i you could even argue that the uh this space is even more fragmented than it has ever, ever ever been because somebody always tries to solve something in some small area and then it becomes a standard and then everything goes even to a more fragmented direction. But we know, and we've been talking on the show before as well about uh, some interesting initiatives uh, in trying to harmonize a digital identity space, uh, at least in the European Union. Uh, but from your perspective, looking at the the, the, uh, the global landscape of, of digital identity from from Marketa's perspective, uh, what's the uh, what are the most interesting digital identity initiatives uh, or things uh, happening right now uh, from a global standpoint? Yeah, well, I think if, we, if you take a step back to your point around it being so fragmented at, at the moment, I think I think that's a really you know, it's it's a valid and true statement, and and it, and it shouldn't be. The case, I guess, if you think, why is that the case, or, or, or what what would lead that to change? I think there's there's probably two things that would that, that typically get these things to be solved, and it's either regulation, um, it kind of gets in, it, it kind of forced on us, and and I think um, that hasn't really kind of um, happened uh, in many of the Western markets um, at this stage, or or consumer products um, uh, companies create consumer experiences which are so much better than they were before that it almost forces the um, uh, adoption on it. And so, you know, I think things like QR codes or uh, digital wallets, you know, w went through a, a kind of period of um, being there, but not really adopted. And then suddenly they kind of got a wave of, of we could actually create much better customer experiences from them. And so suddenly there's, um, you know, QR codes were ignored for 10 years and then suddenly, or not in China, obviously, but in, in Europe. And then suddenly in COVID, everyone realized how, how great they were and they've kind of suddenly kind of come to the fore again. So I think maybe that's what will happen with, with digital identity. Um, in terms of what's really interesting there, I think um, yeah, blockchain is obviously uh, something that could solve this, um, that whole kind of distributed uh, ledger piece and being able to um, you know, create a, a real-time kind of digital identity. Um, but again, it hasn't really kind of solved that problem yet. I think what's really interesting is um, obviously Apple acquired um, Credit Kudos mm. um, last year, and, and obviously that access to open banking and, and some of the data that they're going to be able to get through um, through that, given their experience and obviously track record with amazing customer experiences, you may see someone like Apple um, starting to, to to make great strides forward, pulling that data together, 
using that to kind of create a digital identity and then and then layering the customer uh, experience on top. So th that's probably, I guess, the area that I think um, we could see some movement over the next 12 months. Yeah, I think the uh, the whole notion of basically big techs like Apple uh, moving into the identity space, I think that is that might be a big part of the strategy moving forward, and uh, that that's a, that's a really interesting dimension that we definitely need to get back to on the on the show within a later episode. But the uh, we are starting to round up the discussion here, but there's one more point that I wanted to to, to get to because this is something that I personally work with uh, at the moment. And that is the uh, the notion of what we call privacy enhancing technologies or emerging uh, privacy enhancing technologies like uh, and you can Google this uh, dear audience if you don't know what this means but it's uh, secure multi-party computation federated learning or differential privacy there's a lot of hype around these technologies and they are really promising uh, fantastic things when it comes to basically making sure that the customer data is always protected, but you get the benefits uh, of machine learning uh, with full regulatory compliance. I mean, this is almost too good to be true uh, from, a, from a headline perspective, uh, <laughs> at least. But uh, what do you think? I mean, sh uh, from your perspective, should, should we believe this, this hype about these technologies or is it just uh, hot air? Um, I think... There's typically hype when um, you know people see there's uh, potential for certain technologies, but they're not really sure what to what to do with that technology and how to deliver um, the, the right experience. I think um, yeah, NFTs, you know, we could say were uh, the next big thing uh, until they weren't, and I think um, you know that whole the multi-party computation piece is is super interesting. You're starting to test my uh, um, level of expertise here, but, but you know the concept of being able to break things up and you write and pull data from from multiple sources um, across multiple channels to to your point, um, uh, create those um, super personalized, I guess, experiences while being protected it, it is it, it, it is where we should be all aiming for. I mean, if you can start to create uh, or leverage the, the true power of AI to um, to deliver on that, you know, I think. We start to get into some really interesting um, um, pro propositions. Um, I don't know, um, you know, how that will evolve over um, the next few years, and I think, you know, maybe some of the you know, things that are happening in, in, in crypto, for example, you know, may kind of put um, accelerate regulation on some of these um, areas um, sooner sooner than we, we think. But I think fundamentally. If we can get to that centralized kind of identity proposition, um, th that's where we, we we should aim. And if that can deliver better consumer experiences, um, we should all be excited to um, for what that potential looks like. But I think it back to your initial point. I think it is hype at this stage, um, and and it may be uh, sometime before kind of that hype turns into um, a reality. Absolutely, I completely agree. Uh, let's see, let's see how many years it takes, or is it indeed just uh, just uh, just hot air? But I, I do like the uh, the uh, idea of basically being able to have efficient uh, machine learning and AI in regulated environments, just like the big techs are having in their own centralized uh, data lakes, because it, it feels a little bit unfair that uh, the likes of uh, GAFAs or Googles and Facebooks of the world. Uh, are able to mine uh, from a massive data pool. And then there's uh, in the financial uh, services space, a, a obviously there's a lot of uh, regulation when it comes to data privacy. So uh, you're not able to have as effective machine learning uh, because of that. Now, maybe maybe these technologies could solve part of that uh, dilemma, but uh, re remain, remains to be seen. And AI is a whole other podcast topic, uh, I, I guess I'm sure we've explored, but... Um... Yeah, yeah the, I think... the, the level of variance on AI, I guess, at this stage again, is is another one. Huge potential. I think certain use cases are really starting to uh, potentially deliver, but there's definitely a lot of hot air, hot air around there around that as well at this stage. Yeah, I think we could do a whole season about just AI uh, for sure. <laughs> we try to drop in AI elements every every now and then. So uh, again, uh, starting to round up here. So for, tell our uh, our listeners, uh, what is uh, next for uh, Marketa? Global expansion or yeah, I mean, I, th I think, um, I mean, definitely from my perspective, it's, it's, it's global expansion. I think, um, you know, if I, if I look at Marketa as a company, um, we're in an amazing uh, position 
And most importantly, we've got, as we've said, some really um, A-class quality customers that that love what we do. And, and they constantly tell us that they love what that what we do. And actually, they want more from us, um, which is a, you know, a, a great place to be. We're a fast-growing business. We're a hyper-growth business. Um, you know, we just had our earnings um, um, this week, and we continued that kind of really strong um, uh, revenue growth in the business. And, and we have a very strong balance sheet. So, I mean, it, we, we're in a good position to, to think about how do we invest um, and grow. In terms of what's next from, from the international side, um, I don't want to lose focus in what we do well. You know, we want to double down on court issuing and processing. Um, we still have less than you know, 1% of the market, a huge runway um, uh, for us to do there. And, and right at the start, as I mentioned, in Europe, we, we focus very much at the moment on providing a, a technology solution as opposed to a full program management service for our customers. So the first thing we're going to do is, is start to kind of expand those services um, in our international market so we can provide that more holistic service for customers. And we'll do it in a, uh, a modular, like uh, a la carte menu type um, approach so people can just kind of choose what they want um, from us. Um, we, we want to kind of extend our services. I have a strong view, um, especially in Europe, but I think in, in other markets as well, that um, while FinTech, interestingly, I think has started and been successful by breaking down a lot of the financial services components into small, narrow niche uh, pieces and people are focused on those on those bits i actually think we might especially with embedded finance start to go the other way and repackage those up and bundle those back up and and, and customers are wanting a one-stop shop they don't want to have to go and negotiate with 10 different partners they want to go to a single partner that can do all of their things now whether that single person does them all themselves or they're just kind of working with a whole bunch of partners and underneath i think um is to be seen so we want to add credit to our existing capability and we'll start to look at non-card Capability, so um, account to account, um, international type payments, more yeah, you know, more into that kind of banking as a service. And um, and, and last month in money twenty twenty, we announced um, Marketo for banking in the US, which is a an API for a similar kind of um, uh, proposition. And then finally, the the third lens for us is is kind of geographic expansion. Expansion. We want to do that very thoughtfully. Um, we're cert certified in in thirty nine countries. Um, we think there's there's probably a few more that would really add value to uh, to our customer base and our proposition, and the fact that we have this single global platform that allows people to to, to expand globally is is one of the the, you know, the reasons that people come to us. So I think they're probably the, the the three key areas of focus for us, which will hopefully keep us busy for uh, the next few years. Well, sounds like uh, we might need you as a guest next year as well uh, to hear an update <laughs> on all the fantastic stuff that you guys are doing. So looking forward to that. But time flies when you're having fun is another saying that we have on the podcast. Uh, Paul, did you have anything uh, you thought we missed in the conversation you wanted to ask? Nothing that I think we we missed in the conversation. And, and you know, I'm going to take this opportunity, Villa. We've been sitting here talking about digital identity, talking about how you can use digital identity at a global scale, etc. And I'm still sitting here struggling, as you know, with physical identity between me here in Finland and my bank account in Sweden and being able to prove that I am me back in Sweden now that I live in Finland. And so, you know, I, I would like us to fix just normal identity management before we start getting all excited about digital identity. But I know I can't stop the world just for me. Unfortunately, unfortunately. Yes. But this is ongoing saga about your identity problems. Oh, yes, yes. This, this, this is it's going to go with me to, to my grave, right? Yeah. Here is the man that, uh, that struggled with identity management. I think outside of identity management, you raise, you raise a good point. I think one of the next frontiers is, is going to be linking physical and digitally more seamlessly. I think there's been mm. a huge focus on you know, online and e-commerce, et cetera. Um, people are now going back into, into physical and that, those two worlds are still very uh, di disparate and, and, and there is friction between um, those journeys. So I, I think maybe that's another topic, but I think there's, uh, there's definitely um, an area for advancement in that over uh, the near future. Yeah, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to get connected with a fintech that wants to actually bridge that gap between digital identity, physical identity, because proving who you are in a digital world is one thing, but being able to prove that you are you in the physical world, particularly when you're in a different country outside of your your home demographic is is actually not always that easy i have learned <laughs> no, it's not. yeah and i think that the bridges between these physical identities and digital identities they're analog today so they are basically passport copies and then you enter the information into databases and then that becomes your digital identity but there is no native digital identity that would carry over 
to the online world. And I think that's yeah, again we are digressing but, but, here. But there but is there is, there is what I have episode. there is there is the crooks that I have I have actually learned very recently. Your passport proves that from a passport perspective you are you. But it doesn't prove that you are the representation of the identity that's being created for you in a different country at some point in time, because that's connected to a, you know, in the UK national insurance number or in Sweden or Finland, your person number. Now, if, if you don't have any uh, form of identification that connects you to that unique identifier number, you've got no way of proving that you are the same person with your passport to that identifier number in that country. And that's the issue that I'm having at the moment. Yes. Now, whether digital identity will help us to solve that or whether digital identity will have the same problems, I don't know. Let's let's see where this future moves on, right? All right. Watch, your, watch your space. Yeah, exactly. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I have a lot to say on that topic, by the way, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save a listener <laughs> uh, uh, kind of tangent here uh, and uh, leave it uh, up to, to Jeff, uh, tell our audience, Please, how can they uh, get to know uh, more about you, Marketa, and how can they get in touch with you? Thank you. So, um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me um, on my uh, email, jparker at marketa.com, um, or visit our website, which is www.marketa.com. Um, I'll be very happy to, to speak to anyone that's interested. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you for being a fantastic guest. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we covered a lot of points uh, and almost headed off on a completely different tangent in the end. But uh, I think uh, that's a good good segue perhaps to the next episode we're going gonna to have here. But dear listeners, that has been another episode of Fintech Daydreaming. Uh, as always, please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, write us a comment on the comment field. Write us a review. Those are very important. Uh, and of course, if you want to do a five-star review, that's fantastic. If you don't, don't leave a review. <laughs> as simple as that. Uh, again, we do this for free without any sponsorship. So we are really relying on your reviews uh, and subscriptions to keep the show running and have uh, more, even more interesting and equally interesting guests as, as we have today with, uh, with Jeff. So with that being said, uh, we will see you in two weeks time for another episode. And uh, this has been Fintech Daydreaming. This is... FinTech Daydreaming.